Well, turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, that to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Hear now God's word. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, speak to us, we pray. Not only inform our minds, but so change our hearts and transform our lives so that the worship we give would be pleasing to you. Help us now as we turn to the exposition of Holy Scripture. And as we look intently into the pages of your word, would you, by your word, by your spirit, look intently into us. Search us, O God, we pray. And may we look yet again to Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. We began last week making the descent, as it were, with Jesus and his disciples to a level place. And we were brought to the plain within the mount where Jesus delivered his sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. It was a message, if you recall, given specifically to his disciples meaning that what Jesus said was not a step-by-step manual as to how to become a Christian. Rather, it was a description of who a Christian already is. How does a Christian live? What does a Christian value? Why does a Christian think in a particular way? How does a Christian relate to others? You see, this sermon is about life in God's kingdom. And what we find is that it is so vastly different to life in the kingdom of this world. They are not the same. We live as salt in a tasteless world, as light in a place of great darkness. And so we ask, well, what is that life like? And the answer is this. It is to be blessed. What is this life like? The answer is, it is to be blessed. What characterizes those who belong to Jesus and His Lordship is that they are blessed. Jesus, He began preaching His sermon not by telling us what we need to do, nor by telling us what we need to be, but He began His sermon by telling us what we already are, that we are blessed. This is the Christian life. It is a blessed life. And we closed our time last Sunday seeing what that really means. Not that we are simply happy people. 
To be blessed is not merely to be sentimentally happy or even emotionally happy, but involves something stronger. It's not so much about my feelings or my mood, but the very status of my whole being before the holy and living God. And that I live my life face to face with Him. I live in His presence and I live in His favor. You see, there is no greater blessing than to be ever before the holy and transcendent God and in communion with Him. You know what's interesting to note is that our English word for blessed came about through a few other words, actually, and that the word blessed was developed through time. It originally, in our English language, came from the word blood. And that because a thing was considered to be blessed when it was set apart by a blood ritual. It meant consecration. And so, for example, the elements of the communion service, they were called the blessed sacrament. We also use this sense when we speak of a prayer before eating a meal. We call it a blessing. For in our prayer, we consecrate the food we're about to eat. And we consecrate ourselves to God. But blessed not only came from the word blood, but it also came from the word benedict. And it came to mean to praise God. When we sing praises to God, we bless Him. Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 68, after the birth of His Son, He's saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. But there was a third word in which the word blessed came from, and it was this. It was the word bliss. The word bliss. In which our English dictionary describes not just as happiness, but the perfect state of happiness. It is the deepest and most profound happiness. It is the happiness of heaven, as the Puritans said. It is everlasting joy. And it is this sense in which is found here in the Beatitudes that we who live face to face in communion with the holy and living God, we are eternally blissed. And beloved, what an important reminder that Jesus gives to us at the very outset of His sermon. I would say a detail that is often lost in our everyday lives. No? We can go through an entire day. We can go through an entire week and forget who we are. We forget who we are. And isn't it true that it is at these times in which we find ourselves trying to find happiness like the world? I mean, isn't that the great question that men and women are trying to so desperately answer? There is this search for happiness. The world is looking for and longing for happiness in all shapes and forms and sizes. But in doing so, the end result is tragedy. The way they go about seeking it, though it may for the time being make them happy, is ultimately adding to their misery. And this is where, church, the deceitfulness of sin enters. It is always offering happiness, yet it always leads to unhappiness. It leads to final wretchedness. You see, we are not of this world, Christian. We belong to another. We must remember who we are. That I, who once resided in the kingdom of darkness, I have been brought to forever live in the kingdom of His Son, in the fellowship with His Father. 
Therefore, this is what I am. I am, I am blessed. I am eternally blessed. And you would think, you would think that such a grace would, would never be something that we would, we would need to be reminded of. But as sad and sinful creatures we are, we forget. We forget that we are blessed. Well, how does Jesus now go on to describe the blessed? And I want us to meditate on the first two Beatitudes here that Jesus gives. And in contrast to those Beatitudes, uh, the lamentations which correspond. Now I say meditate because what Jesus provides for us are not items in which we can listen to in a sermon and check off some list. We can't do that. No, we need to be, we need to be driven deeper into these Beatitudes that they might make a greater impression upon our hearts. And that needs to happen over and over again because we will never come to a place in our lives, this side of heaven, where we will feel ourselves to be sufficient and say to ourselves, oh yeah, I, I fulfilled that beatitude. You see, we will never be poor enough. And we will never be too hungry. And you see, it's kind of like how Luke said here that, that Jesus descended upon the mountain, while Matthew said that Jesus ascended upon the mountain. These things need to be ascending and descending in our lives and that we need to continue to lose ourselves and throw away our pride while at the same time growing in our hunger and our desire and want for Christ. And we will never come to a place where, where we will say we're done. Which is why John said he must increase and I must decrease. You see, that ascending and that descending must never stop. And so these beatitudes require meditation and prayer and most of all, His Holy Spirit for the rest of our lives. Well, then we begin with the first beatitude. Jesus describes those who belong in His kingdom as being firstly in poverty. Look with me in verse 20. And He lifted up His eyes on His disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Of all the things Jesus could have said to begin His sermon, He said, Blessed are the poor. How is it that poverty could ever be considered a blessing? It's a sad reality. It, to be deprived. To be viewed as pitiful. What kind of world would being poor be, see, be seen as something to be envied or sought after? For sure, not in this world. But Jesus says that in His Father's world, to be poor is to be blessed. Now, it's important to know what he means here. And in order to know what he means, we need to know what he doesn't mean. The poverty Jesus speaks of is not material poverty. He is not speaking as to the lack of money. It may appear to sound like Jesus is giving us financial advice. That to be financially poor is better than to be financially rich. That's not what he's saying. It's because if that were the case, then we all better hurry 
and turn in our two weeks notice, including myself. We should all sell off all of our possessions, give all of our money to the poor. Which is how some have greatly misinterpreted this beatitude. But let me pose this question. If a person were to give all that he has to the poor, wouldn't it be a contradiction? If being poor is what Jesus is calling us to, then why would a person give all that he has to make a poor person rich by giving him all that he has? Shouldn't he do everything not only to be poor himself, but to keep others in the same blessed condition? And we can take this a little further. If this is true, then the church has no business helping others and alleviating the burdens of the destitute and the needy and the lowly. The church is only adding to others that which hinders them from God and their blessedness. It wouldn't be right to provide aid to a war-torn country like Ukraine, like we did, or to provide Christmas gifts to children in the community. The church should stop support for orphanages and rescue homes and back out of any ministries of mercy. If this is what Jesus was saying, then none of these things would be Christian. Because spiritual blessedness comes from material poverty. What we find in Scripture is that God never sanctions, He never sanctions material poverty in and of itself. Now it's true that riches have the potential to be a hindrance. Matthew 19, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, with only difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Material riches can cloud a person's vision and make a person feel less inclined to trust in anything other than his riches. But, but if it is true that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, it is also true that it is sometimes hard for a poor man to enter also then. Because you see, material riches can plague both the rich and the poor. The root of all kinds of evil doesn't just come upon the rich. The poor can love money too. While in the rich, it manifests itself in greed. In the other, it manifests itself in covetousness. It certainly is the root of all kinds of evil. But for the rich and the poor, the end result is that the poor man is nowhere more near to the kingdom of heaven than the rich man. There is no merit in material poverty. Or else Paul would have never said in 1 Timothy 5.8 that if anyone doesn't provide for his family, especially for those in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And he would not have instructed the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16.1 how to take up a collection for the saints in the other churches. At the end of the day, material possessions or the lack thereof does not bring anyone closer to God. You see, we believe in what Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. For all have sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, irrespective of financial status. You see, all men are in the same fallen condition. And so this blessedness of being poor is not monetary. Nor is it referring to personality. 
If it's not the outward poverty, then Jesus must be speaking of the inward. But we have to be careful in what we mean by the inward. Because this also is a misunderstanding. That to be poor is about being reserved in personality. A kind of introversion over against an extroversion. Or a kind of low self-esteem. You know, one of the ways we can put this meaning to the test is simply by doing this. We look to the person of Jesus. You see, these Beatitudes were lived out in holy perfection in Him. Of anyone else, He Himself was poor. Yet Jesus didn't shy away from others. Rather, we find that He intentionally pursued sinners. And here He was now on the hillside preaching the gospel of the kingdom to His disciples. Jesus was far from being a timid and sheepish man. He was instead bold. He was courageous. And when he preached, the people were astonished, for he spoke with great authority. He didn't retreat from rebuking the religious leaders. And with holy determination, he faced his executors. He also didn't carry in himself this depressive attitude. That's also not to be poor in spirit. No, he was joyful. He was the most joyful person who had ever lived. He was the blessed one. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He told the parable of those who uh, were faithful servants and he called them to enter into the joy of their master. He enjoyed the the fellowship of those who, who he came to save by eating with sinners and tax collectors. And so this poverty isn't that of personality. Well then, What is this poverty? Not of money, nor of attitude, but of spirit. And that before God. Blessed are you who are poor. What did Jesus mean? It is the person who has recognized something of the holiness of God. And in turn, the corruption of sin in his or her own And as such, utterly helpless, spiritually bankrupt, and finding in oneself no ability whatsoever to please God. And you see, no one can be a Christian without this Spirit, and everyone who is a Christian has this Spirit. This is the person who stands before God with nothing to boast of, but broken and feeling desperately lost. And as a result, crying, crying out this plea, the plea for mercy. It is like the blind beggar in Luke chapter 18, sitting by the roadside crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And while the people told him to be quiet, he kept crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. When God leads us to see that this is our real condition before him, This poverty of spirit is born into our hearts. And as we see ourselves, as we really are, as we see that we are undeceived in seeing ourselves, we see that our only hope is in the Lord. I mean, isn't this the spirit of those who came 
before the very presence of the Holy God. Remember, it was Isaiah the prophet when he beheld the glory of the Lord. Remember the very first words that came out of his mouth. He didn't say, blessed be me. Being in front of Holy God. He didn't say, blessed be me. But he said, woe is me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. That the most holiest part of this prophet, his very mouth in which he spoke the very words of God, were but the most unholiest when he, became, when he came before a holy God. There was this tremendous awareness in Isaiah that whatever reason for boasting he possessed, it was before the Almighty, it was absolute nothingness. He found himself stripped of all of his pride, all of his self-assurance, all of his self-reliance. Why? He said, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and so he could only say, not, not blessed be me, but he said, woe is me. Jesus said, notice in Luke chapter 6, verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. It was an indictment to the richly proud, to those who were full of themselves. Yet here was Isaiah, standing before the holy, and recognizing in himself all that Jesus said here in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. A rich and proud and boastful sinner. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference between Isaiah and the person that Jesus is rebuking here? What's the difference? Well, the difference between Isaiah and those who Jesus rebukes and condemns is this. Isaiah saw it in himself. He recognized it. That was the difference. He saw this in himself. And so he came confessing with the admission of who he was. You see in, Matt, in Luke chapter 6 verse 24, the rich who have received their consolation, they don't say to themselves, woe is me. But the paradox is that those who are truly blessed, those are the ones who say, woe is me. You see, Isaiah, his sinfulness was exponentially magnified. He found that he possessed no righteousness of his own. He sensed his great unworthiness before God. He felt himself to be spiritually wrecked and ruined. And so he could only pronounce upon himself, not blessing, but only woe. But this is right where the Lord wanted him. And this is right where the Lord wants you to be and for me to be. This is the paradox of those who belong to Jesus. That we are those who understand that before his holy presence, if left to ourselves, we are in utter ruin and we are, we are in woe. But again, here's the thing. It's those who see themselves in utter woe who are truly blessed. Why? It's because those who are poor in spirit, for them is the kingdom of God. God draws those who look not to themselves, but to His Son into His kingdom. 
and thus provides for them all the benefits of His grace. They are those who are eternally blissed. It's to those who recognize who they really are and thus come trembling before Him that the Lord looks. Isaiah 66 verse 2, But this is the one to whom I will look with favor, says God. He who is humble and poor and contrite in spirit. What a reversal. What a reversal. That the person who feels most despairing before God is the most blessed. This is how life in the kingdom works. It's not that things are upside down, but things are right side up. Beloved, can I ask you then, are you conscious and are you aware of who you really are before Him? When is the last time that you've made a self-evaluation of yourself? Maybe the better question to ask is this, when is the last time that you were confronted with the holy, with His holiness? And did you find yourself needy? Did you find yourself in great poverty of spirit? What does it say about us, Christian, if there is an absence of this spirit? We must ask then, am I a child of the kingdom? Have you come to Him in ruin and in despair Pleading for His grace? Or have you been simply going on with your life unaware? Unaware? Disregarding His holiness and continuing on in self reliance, self pride. Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full of yourselves. I want you to notice something about this beatitude. It comes first. It comes first. Both Luke and Matthew, though they may not list out the same beatitudes, this beatitude comes first. And the reason why it comes first is because there is an order in that before we can be filled with anything of God, we need to be emptied. You see, naturally, we are so full of ourselves. We are so rich with all kinds of pride that nothing can come and fill us. There needs to be an emptying first. Jesus said this at the end of Luke chapter 5, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. In other words, before we can ever be filled, we must be made empty. We cannot be filled until we come humble, recognizing our poverty. We need to be made poor in spirit. It's as the hymn that we just sang goes, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I'm dead. 
I die. This is the spirit of poverty. This is what it means to be made empty. Emptied of our self-confidence. Emptied of our self-importance. Emptied of our self-righteousness. This is the character of every single Christian. And the problem is this. That sometimes we forget. Sometimes we lose sight of this, do we not? We become so filled with pride and we become so full of ourselves. Well, you might be asking, well, what can we do? What can we do? This poverty of spirit will never be created by looking within or by looking at those around us. You see, this is why our hearts are so corrupt. We'll always find someone and we'll always latch on to someone, someone else who we deem more worse than ourselves. And we'll find someone prouder, more filled with themselves. And we'll use that as justification for our own selves. And we'll say to ourselves, no, no, I'm, I'm pretty humble. I'm pretty, you know, empty here. No, we must become empty. We must become poor. How will this happen? Not when we look to ourselves or anyone else, but only when we look to God. So we need to look to Him. And we need to look at Him. We need to come before Him. And we need to come before Him honest with ourselves. And the more we look at Him, the more hopeless we will feel by ourselves and in and of ourselves. And thus, we'll become poor in spirit. We must never look away from Him, but always keep looking to Him. Robert Murray McShane, he was a Scottish Presbyterian pastor who died at the age of 30. He was very young. And he said, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. And our issue is that we look more to ourselves and only to ourselves than to Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I said before, wrote one of the most significant works on the Beatitudes. He said this, he said, Above all, look again at Him, and then you will have nothing to do with yourself. You cannot truly look at Him without feeling your absolute poverty and emptiness. Then you say to Him, Nothing in my hand I bring, Simply to thy cross I cling. You see, it's so important that we sing the right songs. And what we find in this beatitude is really the gospel. This is the gospel that in light of a holy God, we see ourselves for who we really are. That we are ruined sinners, unworthy debtors, recognizing what is the real situation that I am under the just judgment of God. You know, I've been saying that this sermon is for believers and not for unbelievers. Jesus lifted up His eyes and spoke to His disciples. But without a doubt, you see, there were those on that hillside listening to whom Jesus was indirectly speaking to. But we know that with the Son of God, He never indirectly speaks to anyone. He always speaks directly. And I'm sure that had to be the case with those who had simply come to be healed. They came for the physical benefits, but they left with so much more. 
non-Christian, can I ask why you're here? For what benefit have you come this afternoon? The Lord Jesus is speaking through His Word and is speaking directly to you. Confronting you with who you really are. Who we all are before Him. An unworthy, vile, proud sinner. Do you see this? Do you feel this deep sense that you are but nothing before the holy and living God? And if you do, it means that you are being emptied. You are being made poor. And that's a good thing. Now having been made empty, come hungry, come needy, come desiring a righteousness not of your own, but of the only righteousness which will save you. Jesus Christ and His righteousness alone. Come hungry for that. Look to Christ who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And listen to this, and being found in human form, He emptied Himself. He made Himself poor by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the Gospel is that Jesus, in emptying Himself, in becoming poor for sinners such as ourselves, He did so to fill us and that to fill us with Himself. To provide for us a righteousness that doesn't condemn, but a righteousness that saves. There is an order to these Beatitudes. You see, once we are made empty, will we then be hungry? Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 21 with me. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Matthew says it like this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, non-Christian, if you've been made empty, come and find your fill in Christ. Come to Him trusting in trusting faith, looking not to yourself, but to His life, death, and resurrection to save you. Come to Him. Come hungry. And you see, Christian, what we know about the Gospel is that being made poor is not a once in a lifetime moment. But we must always be poor in spirit. That we should be ever growing in our poverty. That we should be desiring to be poor and poor. But this not only applies to a poverty of spirit, but also a hunger for righteousness. This hunger and thirst ought to be growing and increasing that as we continue to empty ourselves, we would want to be more and more filled with Him. This was the disposition of David in Psalm 63. Listen to David. He said, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. When we discover that we have not the resources to save ourselves. We learn to look elsewhere. We look to Christ to meet our needs. And that He does. 
And Jesus tells us that those who hunger shall be satisfied. You see, God doesn't just simply leave us lying paralyzed in our sense of need, but He comes and He gives us a hunger for Him and He feeds us with Himself and with His righteousness. This was the lesson Jesus gave as He fed the multitudes. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. And so isn't it true then that for those who have Christ, that we ought to be the most satisfied people in this world. We as Christians, we have been given the most filling thing in the entire universe, under heaven, in heaven, over heaven. Christ Himself. But again, our struggle is that we continue to act like we're hungry for the things of this world. And we live not like we're filled with Christ. And you see, that is most manifested in our discontentment. In our grumbling. We get angry when things don't go our way. We, we scream and yell at our children in frustration. We become bitter at our spouses. We complain about work. We fight with our parents. We find idols. We give ourselves to being as financially comfortable as much as we can. And the list goes on and on and on. And we act like we're so hungry. When we've been filled with everything. And the reason is not so much that we are really hungry, but Jesus says that we're full. We're full. We're too full. Full of the cares of this world. And the things of this world, we're so full of ourselves. Woe to you, he says, who are full now, for you shall be hungry. It's another paradox. That as we keep trying to fill our lives with the things of this world and ourselves, the more dissatisfied and hungry we will be. But Christian, let, let's, let us run to the fountain. Remember Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John, He said to the woman at the well, He said, everyone who drinks of this water, everyone who drinks of this water will be, will be thirsty again. And, and He was talking about the water of this world. He was talking about the water, the physical water. Let us drink at the right fountain. The fountain which is Christ. Jesus, He said, whoever drinks of the water that I give, He'll never be thirsty ever again. And it may be, and we do this. I do this. We drink from the wrong fountain. Beloved, has this been happening to you? It happens to me. And we need to leave these broken cisterns, as Jeremiah calls it, and we need to come to the everlasting fountain and drink. We need to come to the bread of life and we need to eat. In the story of the prodigal son, the reason why he left home was because he wanted to find complete satisfaction. Remember the story of the prodigal son? <coughs> he wanted to live, he wanted to live life, and living life to him meant money, clothes, food, companionship, pleasure. But instead of those things, the story goes that he found poverty and rags, and hunger, 
and loneliness and misery. And it got so bad that when he was hungry, he turned to feeding with the pigs, with the swine. But it was only after he was finally starving that he turned back to his father. And it was in his father's company that he found all that he had hoped to find in the world. His father clothed him, fed him, welcomed him, rejoiced in his return. And you see, Christian, it might be that you need to return. That you need to return back to your Father. And so may we then come to Him. And we will not be disappointed. If we come to Him, we will be satisfied. And so let's come back to the Father. Let's pray together. Holy and eternal God, we pray that these Beatitudes would continue to circulate in our hearts and in our minds. Would we lose ourselves and so see Christ, that we would be empty and filled with Him? And would we be needy and always needy for Christ? And if not, make us so. We confess that we are filled with pride and sin and our own self-sufficiency, break that in us. Humble us, Lord. Confront us as we come before Your presence. Forgive us for thinking so highly of ourselves and so little of Christ. Cause us to see ourselves for who we really are and Christ for who He really is. And we thank You that in Christ, He has fulfilled all that we could not. He is truly the Blessed One in whom all our blessings flow. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.